Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going to God, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin. If you've got a Bible, you could underline that. He poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, what are you doing? You, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now. I've heard that before. But you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, then... Don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, Whoever is bathed needs only to wash their feet, for they are completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am. If, then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. This passage is not, in my opinion, or it can be many things, but it's, it's not an invitation to the church to wash each other's feet. I don't know if you've been in a foot, feet, foot washing ceremony. It's all very nice and there's nothing against washing people's feet. But Jesus, I think that as I read this story, there's something much deeper happening in this story than merely washing people's feet. As I read this story, it seems to me that we can be clean and still not have a share in the kingdom. You know, we know from reading this that he's talking to his disciples, saying, you guys are clean, but Judas is not. What he's saying is that you've, you've experienced eternal life. You've Come into the kingdom. You've been washed. You're part, you're a son or a daughter of the king. You're washed, you're clean. But he's saying here that you can be clean and not share the inheritance of sonship. You're clean, but I want to do something even more. I'm preparing you to share in my inheritance. And I've told you many times that you can have all of God and none of God. You can be born again. And have God living in your spirit, you can have security and, and the position of a son, yet because you've never been transformed in the way you think, feel and choose, your soul continually counteracts what God wants to do in your life. So God's speaking spirit to spirit, that's where God speaks. And he's saying to you, I want to do this in your life, I want to do that. And your soul, because it hasn't been cleansed, it constantly counteracts counteracts what God is saying. The Bible says that's called a 
carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian. And as I read this, it's so clear that Jesus is saying, you can be clean and yet not have a portion in the kingdom. You're going to heaven, you're a child of God, but you don't have a share in my inheritance. You've met Christians like that, haven't you? Not you, but others. You've met them. And so it says that Jesus poured water into a basin. I like the analogy because the basin is a picture of our spirit. And he pours his spirit, his life into our spirit. And from the basin, he begins to wash their feet. What part of the feet did he wash? I thought about that and I felt God say to me, Andrew, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, what was he washing? And I said, their feet. He said, yes, but what part of the feet? The soles of their feet. This was a picture of Jesus coming spirit to spirit, water being poured into the bowl, into our spirit man. And from there, Jesus begins a work of washing the souls of humanity. Why the soul? Because that's the place that contacts the earth. The souls get dirty. And so he washed their feet because he was showing us that his ministry would be one of cleansing our spirit, bringing us into alignment as a son and daughter of God. That's his first priority, to cleanse us. Cleanse us so we are spiritually made right. But his second priority is the washing of your soul. Are you hearing me? And he said, you don't know what I'm doing, but you'll know soon. And when I leave, I'm going to give you the job of washing other people's souls and washing your own soul. See, the church is a community where we come together. Why do we need to come together as a church? Because that's the place in community where our souls get made whole. Are you hearing me? Hmm. There's a lot there, isn't there? So I asked myself this question, Andrew. I talked to myself. Andrew, that's okay as long as you don't answer back, they say. But you can answer back as well because that's good. Andrew, what does it look like for your redeemed soul, your personality, to be made whole? What does it look like when I am functioning in the wholeness that God intended for me? What does it look like? And I ask you that question. What does it look like when your soul is fully redeemed and restored? What does it look like? Will there be any change in your life uh, from where you are right now? What does it look like? See, I think that everyone should ask these questions. I'm convinced that most people just go along in life and never ask the deep questions. God, what is it that you had in mind when you created this person? I know a lot of church teachers, all of God and none of me, less of me and more of God, My friend, that is just not true. It's all of God and all of me. The all of me as he created me to be. God didn't have one of me, so he created me. And I use this analogy over and over that the water that comes into my spirit, the water poured into the basin, 
that it's all the same. We are all joined together in spirit with God. We all have, those who are born again, we have, we have God living in our spirit. But what makes us unique is our redeemed personality. That's like putting water into cordial, red cordial, yellow, orange. That's our unique flavor. That we, that's the gift that we give to the world. When God's spirit comes into our personality, redeems, restores that. And that is then the gift. You see, my true self is the, the most precious gift that I give to the world. Are you hearing me? Your true self, not the lie that you're living, not what everyone else has told you you should be. And that's what dirt is on the feet. That's, see, what happened, many of you will have heard this, but in the garden, man was created as a spirit being perfect harmony, God and man. And God would communicate to man, and then man would perceive that and express that in his soul. When life was cut off with God, the spirit was killed, shut down, he was dead to God, and it was through his soul he then began to understand who he was through the five senses, through other people and the environment and circumstances defining his nature. That's a problem because the Bible says that you are hidden in Christ. Only God knows who you truly are. And your true self is hidden in a place waiting to be discovered. You don't create a personality. You discover your personality. Are you hearing me? And so we get alone with God in that secret place. And he begins to tell me who I truly am. Are you getting this? Because if you don't, you are living an illusion. You're living tags that people have put on you. I, I challenge people, and this, is, this gets in people's face, and I don't mean to be nasty, but I say to people, and the reason I can say it is because I was like this. I say, how many people here today are shy? And hands will go up all over whenever I ask this question. And I say to them, that's an illusion. Because God never created anyone to be shy. He created different personalities. But shyness, see there's a whole, and that's a whole other subject, but the shyness is a soul that's turned in on itself. There's strength in personalities that, uh, you know, there's all different types of, but you can be, you can be, um, not the life of the party, but still have a strength in your soul where you're able to reveal who you are without closing down. Yeah. You know, we have all different colors of flowers and the lion and, and then we have a lamb. They have different personalities, but, but they're able to reveal who they are. And this is a problem that it's, it's only humans that have trouble with identity. You know, the Bible says, consider the lily, consider the raven. The thing about all these uh, various objects that God creates, none of them have an identity crisis. Thinking, oh, who am I going to be today? It's only humans because we have multiple choices in our soul. We have multiple options, but we only have one that's right. There's only one identity that is our identity. All the rest are an illusion that people put on you. And you know someone who's living an authentic life because there's a harmony, spirit, soul, and body, and, and they're able to give of themselves and not take. When you leave their presence, you feel invigorated from them. There's, you can't put it down. You don't know what it is, but 
there's something authentic and you know people that are living a lie. It may not be conscious lie, but they are living out of a broken, false identity. And there's something you think, there's just something not right when I connect with them. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Have you, yeah. Anybody? Yes. Does anybody actually think about people and relationships? Yeah? yeah? Good, good. And that's what it is, is they, through their fault or other people or combination, they have assumed a personality that's actually not them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 talks about this. Let's read that together. I'm, I'll watch the time. Ephesians 4, 17 is the chapter on the ministry of soul care. And I can't unpack it all in this short time, but I do want to read this to you. Paul says, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. What does a Gentile live like? A Gentile has no communication spirit to spirit. So it's, it's a person that's an unbeliever. And he's saying, I don't want you to live out of the soul anymore. I want you to live out of the spirit. And he goes on to say, they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God. Remember, their spirit is disconnected with God. Why is that a big deal? Because God can only communicate to you spirit to spirit. Are you hearing me? Verse 19, they have lost all sensitivity, spiritual sensitivity. And they have given themselves over to sensuality. Isn't that interesting? They've lost sensitivity and they've given themselves over to sensuality. They've lost their spiritual connection and now they're dominated through the five spiritual senses. So they now indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. What's a greedy person? Someone who takes more than they give. See, that's the problem. When you live out of the soul, you're gonna, your soul's going to be damaged and it'll keep taking, taking, taking because it hasn't found that place of authenticity. And he goes on to say, that is, however, not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. He says, you heard about Christ and you, were, and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul said, you're no longer living out of a lie, out of an illusion, out of a soul reality, but you were taught in Christ. And the thing about in Christ, the truth about being in Christ, is not only do you learn about who he is, you learn about who you are because you are hidden in him. It's this original personality that you are, or that is designed for you. It was created in the mind of God. God loved your personality and created it in eternity. And it's interesting because Psalm 139 verse 13 says, You formed my inward parts. Listen to this. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know what that word means, fearfully? To stand in awe and respect. I am wonderfully made means I am separated, distinguished, marked out, and there is a difference about my life. And if your uniqueness wasn't so important to God, he would have made that very clear. And I want to say to you that your 
personality, your uniqueness is so important. God separated you. He marked you out. He made a difference of, about your life to my life. It is so important to find out who God has made me to be. It's a big deal to God. See, religion gets our focus only on God. The kingdom gets our focus on God and me. And here's a thought. What God doesn't know doesn't exist. So if you're living a lie, if you're living in an identity that's not of him, it doesn't exist. And so when you get to heaven, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11, it came to me. It says about the foundation, no other foundation can be laid except that which is Christ Jesus. Both him as our spiritual foundation, but also him as the one who defines our identity. And it says that we'll get to heaven and the fire will test the genuineness of what we've built on that foundation. And if we have lived the light, it says we will go through the fire, yet we will suffer loss. And everything about you and I that's false will be burnt up in the fire. And we'll lose the reward of an authentic life that we could have lived on earth. So it is a big deal. See, I have a theory. It's, now, this is not thus saith the Lord, but it's a theory. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. All right. My theory is that everything about you, your unique personality, your physical appearance is incredibly important to God. This is my theory. God doesn't, this is not the nature of God to create something and say, okay, that was good, but I'm just going to start again and just forget about that. God doesn't do that. So he doesn't create, this is, I hope this doesn't upset people. I don't think he creates people. And they live their life on earth and he says, right, that's finished. Let's start with a new prototype in heaven. So you are unique. And everything about you God loved and created. And if we despise the way we are, our, personal, our true personality and our appearance, there's no awe and respect as we read and we actually are fighting against the purposes of God. I think that the way you look now will be the exact way that you look in heaven. Well, prove it. Well, Jesus, he comes back to earth. He's got a spiritual body, but they can recognize him. Now, I know some didn't recognize him because they were full of unbelief. But in the spirit... When, when Peter and the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was on the shore and he called out to, to them, Peter knew it was Jesus. He said, touch my hands, feel my wounds. So did he just come back to earth and God gave him a few wounds and he's gone back to heaven and lost his wounds? No, that's who he is. The wounds of Jesus, the nail prints in his hands are his for eternity as the Lamb of God. This is my theory. So... If that be the truth, it's time for you to begin to truly treasure and nurture and care for your personality, your soul, and everything that is you. You need to love your true self. 
again. But we're coming into a place where there is wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Where we truly... And this is not... This is not um, what's the word when people love themselves? Is it narcissism? Yeah, narcissism. This is not introspective, um, the worship of man. No, this is... I'm not talking... I'm talking about a reverence for the way God has created me and saying, God, I want to be whole spirit, soul, and body as a gift back to you. You created this, and I want it to come into... And this is what uh, the writer in Thessalonians is talking about, being sanctified spirit, soul, and body, kept blameless, that word is intact, at the coming of his appearance. I believe, can't prove it again, but I believe that Enoch had that down pat. Spirit, soul, and body, and one day he just went to heaven. And so the helper comes in John 15, 26. It comes from beside the Father. And he says, see, the helper is the Holy Spirit, and he is listening to everything that the Father says about you, who you are, what you're assigned to do, what it means to be authentic. He's listening about your purpose, and he comes from the Father's heart, and it says... He will testify about the Son. So what is he testifying about? He's testifying about Jesus, about how great he is, and about the love that Jesus has for the Father and the Father has for the Son. But he is also testifying not just about the Son, but about the sons. He's testifying about you. This is what Father sees when he looks at you. That's why it's so important for us to have a secret place where we get alongside with God and we begin to commune with him and we begin to hear. See, what happens, it's like Jesus pouring water into our basin and I begin to get filled. That's why I encourage people to pray in the Spirit. We're just getting water in our basin. It's communication. And all of a sudden, from that water in the basin, there is a washing of our souls, of our feet. And I begin to see God in a whole new way. The great mystics, the writers, Augustine, all of those great men, Calvin, they said that God can only be known in relationship with you. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians 4.9, But now that you know God, or rather unknown by God, See, religious people, they're, they're focused all about God, knowing God. But there's, a, there's no reality in their lives. I see that more than I know myself, the more I know God. The more I see how God looks at me. The, so I'll give you an example. The more Peter knew of himself, the real self, not the self that said, I'll follow you no matter what, that was a false self. That was false Bravado. There was fear in his life he knew nothing about. He picked up stuff that had tainted his identity that didn't belong there, and God wanted to change him. So the more he discovered himself that I need forgiveness, the more you discover that, the more you discover a saviour. The more I discover that God wants to bless me, the more I discover a good father. The more, see, they're knowing in relationship with each other. The more God shows me how he feels about me, the more I discover who he truly is. And that's why it's so important to find authenticity in our souls. Because anyone with a damaged soul truly does not know God. J.L. Packer, some of, him, some of you may know him, but he talks about the complexity of knowing things. He said, as the object grows in complexity, so does the 
complexity grow in our ability to know it. So a little object, we can know it, piece of paper. That's not so complex. But then it becomes a person. Well, people become complex. And then you go to God and he's incredibly complex. And as the object grows in its greatness, so does the greatness grow in our ability to understand it. And so it would be impossible for us to know God, except for this fact, that it is God's absolute passion for us to know him and in knowing him, know ourselves. It is the great quest of God to draw you into a place. Because for many of us, like, no, how do I know God? Where do I start? I don't even know myself. But see, the enemy would lie to you and say, you know what, you are too complex to know about yourself and there's no way you can get a handle on God. But God is inviting us into that secret place where he begins to fill us and change us and reveal to us who we truly are. To, to get rid of the deception that's in our lives. Many of us, in fact, here's a shock, all of us have deception. And if you say you're not deceived, you're deceived. So you can't win, so just agree. So we pray, Lord, anoint our eyes to see. See, if there's light in the eyes, the whole body is light. If we can embrace truth. And I know that I'm deceived in my soul when I become defensive or I begin to make excuses. Anyone here defensive? No, I'm not. So we come back into that place and the Holy Spirit begins to put his finger on areas where we're defensive. When someone touches something and we snap and bite and we all do that. He says, come on, I want you to know yourself and I want to be known by you. And it takes time. You know, um, we had a men's uh, camp just over the weekend and I'm still recovering, <laughs> chasing John up and down mountains and valleys. and I don't know where he gets his strength from. But we're talking about this whole concept of developing a secret place. And it takes time. And many of us, we want to come to God with a notebook and all the requests and all the things, but do you know, God just wants you to hang out with him as a friend with no agenda and not saying it's, well, God, I've only got it's a waste of time. He just wants you to sit and receive from him. We need to be good at receiving. Freely you have received water in the basin, freely you can give. And the more you receive from him, the more you sit in that secret place with no agenda. See, this is one of the things, I, I'm just diverting, but when I pray for people, you can see the ones that know how to receive. And, and I was telling the guys, you know, some, and we had all these logs around the fire, and I said, some people like these logs. You lay hands on it, and there's just nothing there. They haven't learned to receive. But you know the ones that receive, they just suck everything out of you. That's why Jesus... He could be uh, walking down the road and everyone's around him. Jesus. I mean, Jesus. Not anyone, just Jesus. And they're all around him, mingling, touching him, and nothing's happening. And one woman knows how to receive. And she gets everything she needs. And we have to learn how to receive in that secret place, how to allow him feel our spirit. Get rid of all the restlessness and all the, 
all the junk and all the agendas and say, God, this is my focus now. I want to receive from you spirit to spirit. Talk to me about who you are and teach me who I am. And that's my lifelong agenda. Not to do anything because that all come. Freely receive, we will freely give. But I want to be whole. Remember, the gift of my true self is the gift I give the world. Are you hearing me? The world needs the authentic you. And as soon as you come into alignment with authenticity and it's something we grow in, we don't become authentic through one major encounter. It's it's from glory to glory. We are transformed into the image of... Yeah. And what's in Christ, we discover all of him and we discover all of ourselves. For we are hidden in him. So we keep looking. Remember the bronze serpent was put up in numbers and they, Moses said to the people who were poisoned, picture of our soul, he said, look and you will live. And so we keep gazing into Jesus' eyes. We picture that with our mind. We picture the Father, the way he looks at the Son, the way the Son looks at the Father, the way they are looking at us. We picture that. We keep looking until we start to live. And life begins to flow out. And I want to, be, I want to be a person, I want to be part of a community where we are life givers. Because we've come, you know, there's, how do I explain it? It's like, you know people who are broken because they keep taking from you. And it's like, I don't want to have to keep avoiding them. But you know what? If they won't allow Jesus or you to wash their soul, They're going to walk around with dirty feet and be a repellent to every person on the planet. And the attractiveness of Christianity is authenticity. And this whole chapter is talking about the renewal of the soul. It says, I want you to be made new in the attitude of your mind or the spirit of your mind. That's the part where the soul meets the spirit and begins to dance together. There's harmony. He says, and you put on this new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness will define everything about you. Now listen to this. Righteousness is your position. Holiness is your condition. Holiness, I remember, and I won't say who it was, but we had a relative who's one of his favorite verses because they were brought up in in. In the um, traditional church, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Be holy for I am holy. It was preached with passion. And all of a sudden you begin to shrink because you've been thinking about all the sin that's in your life. And God's setting this standard that's impossible. And Paul's saying, put on the new self. Created like God in true righteousness and holiness. What is he saying about the redeemed man, spirit, soul and body? Well, he's saying that when you get born again, you are righteous. And we know all about, we've heard about that. Pure, we are his child, not just made clean, but given the nature of a son so we can relate to God 24-7 with perfect righteousness. When he looks at us, he sees his son. No matter what we've done, he stamps us righteous. He imputed Jesus' righteousness to us. We, he, you know, sin became sin for us. 
So we would become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. There was a crossover. He got our sin, we got his righteousness. We know that. It's, it's the position of a saved son, eternally secure in him, whom the Father holds, no one can snatch out of his hand. Amen? Versus eternal insecurity. My righteousness as the measure of God validating whether I'm in or out. But he says true righteousness and holiness. Holiness has got nothing to do with sin. I don't want to pop your bubble, but it's got nothing to do with sin. God was holy before sin was ever around. Holiness is the sum total of all of God's attributes living in perfect harmony. It's his mercy and his justice. It's his love and his judgment. They are all brought together in perfect harmony. And that's why we say he is holy. Another word for holy or the correct word for holy. Whenever you read it in the Bible, you can... You don't need to do this, but in your mind, you could cross out holy and put whole. God is whole. And so when the four living creatures cry out day and night, they have eyes within and eyes without. So they look at all his works, eyes without and eyes within. They look at who God is inside and they cry out, holy, 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 Father, Son and Spirit all in complete harmony within themselves and together. And Jesus says, you be holy as I am holy. He speaks into the brokenness of our life and says, the Trinity in perfect holiness are going to come to you and possess you and bring holiness, spirit, soul and body, so that four living creatures could even cry out over you, holy Holy, holy. Are you hearing this? That's God's deep desire to bring wholeness to your life. Hmm. We worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. We see him complete. We look into his eyes and we say, Lord... As we gaze upon you, we ourselves are transformed from glory to glory into the same image as Christ. What image is that? A whole image. Why was Jesus so attractive on the earth? He had no, nothing about his form that attracted people to him. He wasn't G.I. Joe. He was ordinary on purpose because he wanted mankind to be attracted to his authentic life. And there's something beautiful about being made whole, about allowing Jesus not only to fill our spirit, to wash our soul, and then bring us into a place of total acceptance of ourselves. You need to love yourself back to health by looking at him and seeing what he sees. What would happen if I was right? And you have to keep your redeemed personality and body for the rest of your life. Maybe it's time to start loving it. Maybe there's great power in authenticity. In looking in that mirror and saying, Father, thank you that you fill my spirit. I am joined to you. 
Thank you. Thank you. You communicate love to me. Thank you for this song. You, in time, I don't know when, you created this person called Andrew McGrath. And you saw that completion. It's hidden in you as a gift to discover and to receive. Thank you for that. I treasure that. Um, I revere when I think about how amazing you made me. The, the word actually says in Psalms, there's awe. Think about that. There's awe about your personality. It's awe-inspiring that God would conjure up in his mind me. And it's a disservice to God to despise the real me and want to become him. And John wanting to become me. Because there's a reflection of God that is unique to him that is a gift to the world. That when he sits in that zone, he comes alive, but so do we. Are you hearing me? This is called body ministry. And you read the rest of that chapter. It says how we are to speak the truth to one another, not out of falsehood, not, not pushing up people's false identities by feeding that, but in love beginning to call out. See, the Bible says, pursue love and desire the gifts. Why? Because out of our spirit will flow the love of God that ministers to people's souls, but also out of our spirit will come prophetic gifts that begin to draw out what they can't see about themselves. That's when the body comes alive. And Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing when I wash their feet. But you will understand. And when you do get it, would you please wash each other's feet? Would you go out into a world that's picked up all this stuff and begin to take off your towel, pour some of the water that's here, begin to get spirit of God perception and begin to wash all the muck off people's feet? Maybe this week you meet someone down the street and God gives you insight into how he made them. They, you know, and, and it could be so far from their mind. They could be so down in their life. Or they could be proud about themselves. And God wants to reveal to them who he's truly made them to be. And we look beyond the veneer of the strongholds they've assembled to secure their illusion. Proud people. That's just a stronghold. Because inside, they know that they're living a lie. And so they get amassed toys and wealth and strength. But it's an illusion. And one pop, bring it all down. It's called a financial crash. It could be lots of things. But God begins to give you insight to speak words of life. And you begin to wash the soles of their feet. I want to be a foot washer. Don't you? Yeah. My greatest desire is to wash people's feet. Bring them to a place where they are cleansed spiritually, first and foremost. But then to wash people's feet. To get alongside people and call out the greatness in them. But also not just that. To be so authentic myself that I'm a giver of life and not a taker. Don't you? Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for the amazing gift that you've given us of our personhood. Lord, we treasure that. And Lord, we just say today, wherever we have despised, we have rejected, we have misunderstood who you made us to be, spirit, soul, and body, we just ask that your healing power would transform those 
faulty thoughts and decisions and feelings. We repent, Lord. We repent of, of assessing ourselves according to the measurements of the world and not for you. Would you wash our soul today? Would you teach us how great you are? And would you teach us what you see when you see us? May there be a holy dance between you and us. You as the holy, holy God, creator of the, the world, the God, Lord of lords, King of kings, and us, your redeemed children, whole in you, doing the dance of heaven. And I thank you, Father, that you are committed to bringing the body of Christ into completion, perfection. It's your desire, Lord, to transform us. And our Lord, I pray for anyone here today or listening to the podcast, watching on YouTube, if they've never invited you into their lives, Father, cause them right now to open up their hearts to you. You said, Lord, if we would confess with our mouth, if we would use our mouth, through our mouth we can invite you into our spirit to regenerate it, to forgive us of our sins and to bring us alive to you. And if you've never done that today and you're hearing my voice, you can do that wherever you are. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we ask you, Jesus, to come into our lives, to regenerate our spirits for those who don't know you. Be the Lord of our lives, the King of our lives, to forgive us of our sin. We believe in your sacrifice on our behalf. And everything you did for us on the cross, we ask, Lord, would you appropriate that, appropriate that to us today? And I pray, Lord, secondly, for every person who, Father, is on the journey of having their souls made whole. Cause them to celebrate the uniqueness of their personhood. Our prayer is, Lord, when we get to heaven, that nothing about the way we have viewed our lives would be burnt up by fire. And that all that you know of us will be all that we know of ourselves. We will be like you because we will see you. And in seeing you, we will see ourselves. And there will be holy perfection. And we will live and move and have our being. There will be such life. And we want to embrace the fullness of your life in ourselves. You said you came that we would have life and life to the full. And we know that it only comes when we Live as you have created us to be. So, Father, draw people to the secret place where they hear your voice and are transformed. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus.